Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, final hour of the show. We are flying through. we got a lot to get into. It's brought to you by Matt Black Nissan. The all-new Matt Blatt Nissan is now open on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township next to Home Depot. Online, MattBlattNissan.com. I'm Mike Gill, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Hunter Brody, at Broads81. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. Watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com, through our Facebook channel. You can uh, watch the show. You can interact with us. And just like this, if you say something that we want to talk about, you post it on our Facebook page, boom, we'll pop it up on the screen like Andrew, who says, hey, guys, I would like to move on from Wentz after that report, but I have to stick with him. If I have to stick with him, I'll give him maybe, maybe seven games, and if he fails like he did this season, then I'm putting Hurts in and I'm trading Wentz, and bam, no more drama, at least for now. And I wanted to put that up on the screen because he makes a point. It's like, are you, as the Eagles, intrigued enough by Wentz and what you've seen and who he is and what you know to say, we we can't just pull the plug. We've got to see if there was just a one-year thing and him and Peterson and all the stuff and the injuries to the offensive line and all that stuff was a factor. Or is this guy what that article says? I would say that there is normally a line where I would say, like, okay, look, this was bad. He didn't get along with the coach. It got a little ugly. You talk about the injuries on the offensive line. That played a role. Like, there's a line, right? But I think this is so far gone. Seven games. Imagine this city next year of seven games of Carson Wentz. Him having a bad They're good games. Uh, Okay, I mean – Like, that's the thing. If he goes out there and plays well and and dominates, no matter if he's stubborn or killing plays or doing whatever, no one even really cares about what's happening behind the scenes. But I think they put themselves in this position where there's so much drama involved behind the guy that you might have to move on from the guy. And and I kind of lean towards what Andrew's saying where – I think I'm just over the Wentz era at this point based off of all this little nonsense that continues to get thrown out there by so many people who cover this team. Well, it's like, I know as a fan, it's easy for us to say, I'm over, I want to move on. And, like, it's human nature to, like, I'm done with this toy, I want to play with another. Heck, you know, my girlfriend's son has one of those VR uh, Oculus Quest things, and you're thinking – Man, you're never going to take that thing off your head. After about an hour or so, he's like, okay, I want to play with something else. What is that? And it's like the coolest toy out there. It's virtual reality. Oh, oh, it's the VR. Oh, I got you. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, virtual reality. I mean, like, dude, I've used this thing. I get nauseous. Yeah, do you ever do the roller coaster? It's like, whoa, this is uncomfortable. No, he's got actual games. When you are virtual reality, like, playing, like, games and stuff, like, you're playing dodgeball, you're picking the ball up and and throwing it. Well, we better watch out for the TV. It's like the old Wii remotes. (laughs) Exactly, but, like, you get to the point after an hour of playing that, like, when we were kids, we'd play the same game for, like, 14 hours. Yeah, Pac-Man, you try and beat the high score at the local arcade. You would play Madden football through the night. And yeah, about an hour, he's like, ah, what else can I play with now? Like, that's just, like, the attention spans we have. It's like, Carson Wentz is the quarterback, uh, three years, okay, I'm fine. Give me somebody new. Yeah, like, but we I, always want someone new. Look, and I'm here slamming Wentz a little bit all year long, but there is a part of me that says, I, know, I thought he was the problem this year. But is he completely broken? 
Or do I, I has the organization owe it to myself and the investment that I put into him? Do I owe it to us to just make sure it's completely broken? I don't even think he's broken fully forever as a player. Like, this to me has nothing to do with what I think he can be in this league because I think he can be very successful. I don't know if he could be successful here based off of right, what but has do you owe happened. it to yourself to find that out? You might have dug yourself in such a deep hole that it, it would be I mean, Doug Peterson's be gone. damning. Yeah, but I don't even know if it's to the point of Doug. I mean, this stuff, doesn't this go farther than just Doug? I don't know. And I mean, press if you Taylor? go off this article, then yeah, it goes farther than Like, think just about Doug. it. Frank Reich. If Frank Reich's to the point where I don't want to touch this guy because it's too damning on me and it takes too much out of me, then that... No, I'm not saying that's 100% what happened, but if that is the case, that's where I can go, you know what, it just might not be worth it. Let's try and find another quarterback. The thing, like, you go back to that thing we talked about last hour. The fact that Wentz went over the coach's head and went to the owner, and that's a problem for the next coach coming in by saying, you're telling me that this player can go right over my head anytime he's not happy and go to the owner and the GM? Like, that to me is an issue. Like, if I'm the next coach coming in, I don't want to have a player who has already established that he's going to go up over my head. And I think most brought something up great on Football at Four, and I was thinking the same thing. When you think about these baseball managers, you go from you know a, a little bit of a softy to a more of a hardo, and then you go back to the softy, and then you go back to the hardo, you just kind of flip-flop. You get a Josh McDaniels in here, and who's to say that if, if he comes in here and he's aggressive and he's firm and he is – like way harder, insanely harder than Doug Peterson ever was, that that smacks Carson Wentz in the face a bit, and that changes how this team operates moving forward. <laughs> yes, yeah, 609-403-0973. Like, all right, let's read some more of the excerpts from this Jeff McLean article from the Inquirer and really, you know, break down. Let's pick some of the ones that you've pulled out. Well, we hit on a lot of them. I started out with the offensive linemen going to management, which which then led to Carson Wentz going to management because he was unhappy that Doug Peterson made the call himself. Uh, un- this is from a veteran player, right? Like, he doesn't understand that he lost games for us. He will never admit that, and that's a problem because he can't get corrected. You think Tom Brady is willing to hear from coaches because he sure damn does. You know what I mean? Like, how can you possibly no, Tom, look around Tom the Brady, league? And Tom Brady, for f- quite frankly, is saying, I don't care if Jason Peters got whipped five times. All of them are my fault. Yeah, he would say that. All five of them are my he, fault. He would say that. Yeah, he will. Actually, though, it is funny. When you saw when there was a false start or like a hold or something, that look, that side, I, like, I understand that he would agree. He would say it's his fault. That's the nature of him. But I can't imagine being someone who made a mistake and having to go back to the huddle and look at Tom Brady. I'd be scared. I'd be a little nervous. Oh, I'm sure, like, on the field, he chews you out in that moment. But afterwards, when he's in front and they say, what happened? I didn't get the ball out fast enough. I missed the open guy. There was a guy open and I missed him. Absolutely. He would say that for sure. Um, I thought one of the, the parts of the article that we haven't quite touched on. Now, it says, while Wentz at times could be his own worst enemy, many of the reasons for his decline were outside of his control. The Eagles endured a rash of injuries, particularly on the offensive line, and used 14 different combinations in 16 games. Their receivers and tight ends were often either hurt or inexperienced. So that kind of does suggest, look, it's not all just Wentz, and that's why I wonder if the organization is saying, 
We have to find out if those things are a bigger factor or these other things are a bigger factor. What is the bigger factor here of why his play went down the toilet? Do you lose anything if you give this one more chance? And that, in terms of Carson Wentz's value, like if you wait one more year and it falls on its face, is there really much that you're losing in terms of compensation or anything if you were to get rid of Carson Wentz? Because I don't think they're going to get much now if they try to trade him in terms of draft capital or anything. Do, do you see it the same way? Because I'm trying to think, like, what's the risk-reward? So let's say you do try it, and it doesn't work, and you do want to get rid of them after next year. What do you lose if you choose that option? Uh, that's a good question. I would say not much. I would say, much, I would say right? not much. If, well, I don't know. What do you think you're getting in the trade for him right now? Like a th- third-round draft pick? And John Clayton earlier last month said like a fifth round. Okay, so let's but say it's fourth fourth We'll split the difference. Do we think fourth that's, rounder. Do we really think it's that bad, though? It's probably in that range. I mean, if you said third, would you be okay with a third? No. Oh, I mean, okay. I'm not saying I think well, you're going to get better. You asked would I be okay with it. No, I mean, I invested a ton into this guy. I'm getting a third-round pick in return. That's like the whole Markel Fultz thing. Yeah, Am Jonathan I happy with Simmons. getting what I got in return for Fultz? No. I gave up the number one overall pick. No, I feel I feel cheated. Well, I guess this could be what you lose. Right now, people look at that AAV and they say, okay, it's reasonable for a starting quarterback. If this guy ends up being nobody, who is going to be willing to take a chance on his AAV for the following season if this is two years in a row where he ends up becoming a dumpster fire? So maybe you do lose the ability to even get rid of him at all if you take that chance this season. Yeah, I mean... I think, though, it's like they say, oh, bad things can happen when you throw a pass. You know, you can have an interception, you can have a sack, you can have, you know, different. There's more bad that can happen. That used to be the narrative, like back, you know, that's why you don't throw the football because more bad things can happen. Could more good things happen for Wentz? I mean, you've already seen the worst. I don't think he can get any worse. No, I don't think that there's much worse. I mean, if he just plays the same way as he did this year, Next year, it's not worse, it's the same. So I agree with you. I don't think it can get any worse. But will teams be willing to take that chance if you wanted to move on from him? I think that's where the concern is. Well, it's like if you play him. Now, if you're under the mindset of a lot of coaches or or fans and almost Jeffrey Lurie that we need to take a step back and Peterson wanted to take it, wanted to coach as if this team was ready to win and Lurie and him just weren't on the same page in terms of Lurie believes that it's time to rebuild, and Peterson did not want to go down that road. So they're in a spot now where they can afford to almost do it because they've set it up for, hey, look, we're going to rebuild, and part of that is we got to find out if Carson Wentz can play or not. Okay, I was thinking it, thinking of it as with Jalen Hurts. Let's, let's have the young kid play, and if he does well, he does well. If he struggles, we're going through a growing period. Well, yeah, but you start this, like the guy who sent that message in on our Facebook page, I think there's precedent now for Wentz to say, "Look, you're the starter. You're gonna have a. You're gonna be the starter, but you got to play well. If thir- three games in, you're playing like you did last week, <laughs> you're gonna get benched." How about this idea? What if he goes in there and goes, "I don't care that you fire Doug. I don't want to be here." Well, now you're running into a Houston Texans situation. Yeah, because where Watson just essentially is now. I don't want to play here. So, right. Figure that out. What if Carson Wentz is reading this article on Saturday morning, just like me and you did, and he's going, I don't want to be a part of any of this nonsense. This city's whack. Get me out of here. 
So it has nothing to do with Doug. It's all this media stuff that he doesn't believe into because he's brainwashed to think that none of this is his fault, really. So what if he's like, you know what? I'm just done with this city. I want out. I don't care that you got rid of Doug. Now that opens up a whole nother dilemma. Well, and that puts the Eagles in a tough spot because now you're in a spot where other teams know you have to just give them away. And that's when your value for him goes down. So maybe the Eagles try to suppress that by telling him, you're going to be the starter. We got your back so that they don't go through that situation. That's another dynamic to throw in here. What if this is all a smokescreen because they want to trade him and they want it to look as if they want to keep him, so then other teams look at it as, hold on a second, they want to keep him? There might be something to Carson Wentz, no. and that ups the trade value. And, and Well, this part of the article is interesting, too. Wentz struggled throughout camp. He had never been the best practice player, often using the time to work out kinks, but passes that had previously been secondhand were no longer. Coaches initially used a lack of spring practice as an excuse, but as the errant passes continued, even on the standard throws he made to tight end Zach Ertz, his favorite target, hundreds of times, they began to think that something was wrong. It goes on to say, was he hurt? where their mounting injuries finally starting to take a toll. Wentz implemented the intricate warm-up program four years ago. It isn't much different than other quarterback routines, but it's a 45-minute length seemed extreme to some Eagles staffers. Did he need that much time to get loose, they positioned. Wentz suffered a lower body soft tissue injury towards the end of camp, but with no preseason, he was able to rest for an extended period and was ready for the season opener. He got off to a hot start in Washington but a late first-half interception turned the tide. He tossed another pick early in the second half and was sacked eight times. Wentz's protection was sound the next week, but he still tossed two more interceptions and wasn't seeing the open receivers. So it goes on to talk about him playing hero ball, that he threw ill-advised into double coverage, he held on to the ball too long, he took too many sacks, that coaches were watching the film from 2017 and posting it up next to what he was doing this year and saw a lot of the issues that he was pressing, putting too much additional pressure on himself and that he was basically overthinking and that the Hertz situation was kind of weighing on him. The 45-minute warm-up thing, as soon as you said that, I remember listening to Ricky Bowe when the Phillies were playing this season, right? And Spencer Howard, there was this big story about how long it took him to warm up. And he was like, what? This kid is so young. I remember towards the back of my career, I needed that too. And you know what? I did not last much longer. A day later, Spencer Howard went on the IL with a shoulder injury. And it, and it just it sparked something in my brain like, if you are taking that long to warm up, where people think it's extreme and it's like, whoa, what are you doing here? Why is it constantly getting to that level where you need to do all that to get going? There's got to be a correlation with something in, in terms of an injury or something of that nature. Uh, yeah, I can't relate because it didn't take me very long to warm up, so I can't relate. I yeah, throw I, I, four or five had, pitches and I was ready to go. Yeah, if anything, I probably didn't uh, warm up enough. Yeah, I mean, and then that I could be the, impossible. Yeah, then it's like, oh, man, I'm a little tight this morning. This quote's interesting. Everyone believed Carson had no clue about when to get the ball out on time and as a result made his offensive line look terrible in times they were playing fine. Can you reread the first sentence again? Everyone believed Carson Wentz had no clue about when to get the ball out on time. And as a result, he made his offensive line look terrible in times that they were playing fine. Okay, here's what I have. Everyone. who Every single person? Who's everyone? Who is that? Is that the whole team? Is that the whole organization? Mm -hmm. Is that all the beat reporters? Like, who's everyone? 
I'm just I'm just asking that question. Yeah, that's, fair. that's all. I, I just I don't know who everyone is. Everyone is. just a generalization of a lot of people. Right, exactly. Like I I, I just I don't know what to do with that because I don't know who everyone is. If you said off, you know, the entire offensive line, the entire offensive coaching staff, I don't know. I I just don't know what to do with that because everyone's such a such a big part of this. Who? Who is saying this? Well, everyone. I don't know what that means. And everyone to me is a generalization of a majority. You know, of people inside the organization uh, or fan base. I don't know because that's no, we not talk fan about base. irrational not fans. Ever, not fan base. You know base. what I mean? Like not fan base. I'm talking about like everyone believed Carson Wentz had no clue. A source said, and as a result, made his offensive line look terrible in times they were playing fine. I don't know. That could be offensive players. Right. I'm not discrediting defensive players. The Maybe point, defensive players. Yeah. The point of the quote is very, very important. Obviously, I still think it has so much value, but I just want to know. Like, I wish I knew. Okay. Who's everyone? Who's what? What part of that source? Like, where? Where is this coming now, from? Now, this is interesting. Hertz remained the starter, but Wentz and his actions and assistance was supportive. While he had lost the backing of some players before his benching, many did admire the way he handled the demotion. I heard Chris Long talking on his podcast about this, about the benching and all, and I know he's not just going to publicly come out and say, oh, Carson Wentz is this and Carson Wentz is that, I can't believe it. But he had nothing but great things to say about the guy, and he said that, yeah, you know what, he's stubborn. Guess what? I'm stubborn. I had to be told what to do. Like, I'm stubborn. And he did go on about his coaching, and I thought it was interesting to hear from an ex-player and an ex-teammate perspective, but, you know, like, I don't know. I just I'm having a hard time because – how about this? So part? many of these guys don't say that. He, like, if he's this much of an issue, you would think that these guys who no longer play with him would be like, "Yeah, hey, you know what? This guy was an ass, <laughs> right?" You would think that, though. Maybe you haven't if got he, to the right ones yet. <laughs> you're right. Maybe yeah. Like Fletcher Cox won't say that. Chris Long apparently won't say that. But maybe someone who's quiet in that locker room would. They're also defensive players. I don't know how much time they spend around him in the meeting rooms. Good point. Really good point. Uh, Reich and the Colts would have interest in, with Phillip Rivers, a pending free agent in near 40, but it would take a leap of faith and significant cost. Uh, quote, but I'm not sure Frank would even take him, a source familiar with Reich's thinking said. That's damning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but see, uh, like, how, and this goes back to the question, if it gets to this point, whether you think he's a good player or not, how do you move forward with him as your quarterback? You just have to cut ties and start over with someone who's not so controversial in your locker room. You have some guys that like him, some guys who don't like him, some guys that hate him, some guys that doesn't even talk to him. I mean, you are already starting off with the bad foot. If you're getting a new coach, a new system, a new philosophy, a new this and a new that, get a new quarterback and start over so all this drama is just done with. Why continue this drama? You don't need to. If it's to this level, how? How, Gil? I have a hard time thinking that I have a hard time thinking that he has full support from this this roster right now. That's the one problem. I think he has the support of Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. Now, is part of that support based on his contract? Would they have the same support for him if they didn't owe him? Maybe not because the same dubious, support, but... It's dubious that they have the support for him 
yet also pulled the trigger in drafting a player to almost be there to replace him. Yeah, I don't think, uh, don't get me wrong, does finance play a role in this? Absolutely. I think they just look at his upside as a play. They look at what happened in 2017, and they think to themselves, if we can get that out of him again, we're talking about another Super Bowl. So I think they're brainwashed from that. We talked about success and how can you handle this success. I think they saw what he did that year, and they said, wow, that can lead us to that success again. So they're just like brainwashed from three years ago, and and they think they can get that out of him again. Well, that's the part that is the tough spot for for Jeffrey Lurie and Hallie Roseman. And I know nobody wants to make excuses for Roseman, which I'm not. Uh, I've got a text here that says Roseman takes zero accountability. But they also signed him to this deal, and they know how difficult it will be to move him. Does he even need to – like Howie Roseman, if anything, it's Lurie that needs to hold Howie Roseman to a different accountability. As if, what, like Howie Roseman's just going to walk away because he's disgusted in himself? That would never be the case. You know what I mean? Like, accountability comes from Jeffrey Lurie when it's well, talking about sitting, Howie Roseman. If we're sitting here saying that Wentz needs to be more accountable for the team's poor play, Roseman, as the leader of the roster, should say, I haven't done a very good job okay, drafting. Okay, from that perspective, yes. But I'm not – like, Carson Wentz would never be like, you know what, I'm just going to quit football and I, like because I've been playing so bad. Howie Roseman's not going to be like, you know what, I'm just going to quit being no, a no, GM no, 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 because no. this fan base doesn't no, like No, no, no. But he could say, look, I mean, he has hinted at it. I think Roseman is well aware that, uh, hey, we've missed on some picks. But, again – There's something in the middle here. Roseman hasn't been as bad as the fans make him out to be, and he isn't hitting enough. There's somewhere in the middle. If I'm Roseman and I'm defending myself, he doesn't have to. Hey, I built a Super Bowl champion. The next two years, we had 10 picks, and I didn't do a great job with them. Okay, that's not a fireable offense in my opinion anyway. You could say this team has had – isn't where you want it to be based on the fact that, you know, those two years you didn't draft very well. But he could say, I drafted well in 16. I drafted pretty well in 18. I didn't draft well in 17 and 19. All right. Not everybody drafts well every single year. But because the team is not playing well, we're so frustrated. So we say, oh, those two drafts were terrible. Yeah, they were terrible, but he doesn't take the accountability for it. Nobody knows what's going on in the draft room. We don't know why, and I think that adds to the frustration. Yeah, definitely. From that aspect, yes. I, I mean, I do agree that he can do a better job being like, yeah, you know what, I, you know, I need to be able to draft better. I thought in terms of, like, Howie being gone and in terms of him being held accountable from the front office. It's not like Howie's going to step away to show, hey, I'm accountable. I'm just going to take a step aside. No, because <laughs> It's just like – Carson Wentz isn't walking into Doug Peterson's office and saying, bench me, I suck. Yeah, exactly, right. You know, like, people act like you're so bad, you should stand up and help the team and bench yourself. (laughs) But it's almost as if you're a little bit more lenient on giving this another try, which is ironic. No, no, no. Okay, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where... And I don't think this is irrational to say. I just think there's so much drama. I think starting fresh would be great okay, for this if franchise. If you're asking me what I would prefer, I think it's time to move on. And I'm not even giving an opinion whether or not I think he could play, not play. I just think for the health of him and the organization, it's best that he moves on. My my opinion of how it will play out is they owe it to themselves. I think they owe it to themselves. It's like Again, sometimes like you bring it to like the smallest of levels and you coach young kids and we'll be in a tournament or whatever and there's a kid that's really struggling, 
but you know that he's one of your better guys. He's just really struggling. And some of my assistants will say, dude, we got to bench this kid. We got to bench this kid. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, he's not playing well, but in reality, we owe it to the team because we have a goal to get here. And the way that we get there is if that guy plays well. And because the other guy can't reach where he can. Well, get did they to. do that with Wentz this year? They're like, we owe it to Wentz to work himself out of this funk, and it just never ended up happening. And sometimes you do it, you hold on too long. Yeah, which they. But did. it's like you can't quickly pull that cord because you're like, look, we know who this guy is. He has a track record. At what point though do you say he can't get back to that track record? That's where the problem comes into play. Is is he no longer going to get to that spot? You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. All right, one thought every game. Casey Joiner's on the other side. WinBet has arrived in. New Jersey, down bet, download BetWin. Go to winbet.com. Sign up, start winning today. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Physically present in New Jersey to participate. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, Jay Blevins will go inside the Sixers. He's got a great piece right now on Tyrese Maxey. Everybody wants to know, what should this guy's nickname be? It's easy. What is it? It's Mad Max. Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah. Tyrese Maxey, Mad Max, eh. comes in, he just starts chucking up floaters, threes, it's all over the place. He's Mad Max, like Vernon Maxwell when he was here. He's the new Mad Max. We could do better. You got something better? I haven't heard one. No. I never said I had the answers. Mad Max on this show. 5.30. It's the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. At Mike Gill Show is where you can follow me on Twitter. At Broads81 for Hunter Brody. And don't forget, you can watch the show live on our website, 973ESPN.com, through our Facebook page. So go to our website, click on the link. It'll take you to our Facebook video, and you can watch the show live right here on the Sports Bash Live on 973ESPN. You can also watch UFC this weekend, which is going to be tremendous. DraftKings is giving an awesome odds boost. You can bet $1 on Conor McGregor to win by knockout in the first round. And if he does, you'll be cashing in $257. That's right. You bet $1 for Conor McGregor to win by knockout in the first round. And if he does, we are talking $257. Do not forget about the playoff football games this weekend as well. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLING. All right, uh, one thought on every game in just a second here with NFL insider Casey Joyner, thefootballscientist.com, as, of course, uh, the divisional round is in the book, so we're down to two more weekends of football. we got the championship weekend. You can hear the games right here on 97.3. ESPN, the fallout from these games. We'll get Casey's take on them now here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Casey, welcome back, pal. How you been? Uh, it was a fun weekend. A lot of interesting ball games. Uh, yeah, that, that is uh, not as quite as great of a division around as some past years, but still some fun football. Yeah, I mean, there was certainly a lot of storylines now moving forward here because we have some injury issues uh, to kind of deal with. But like, let's look back at the matchups and uh, take a look at what we saw. You know, one thing is interesting, um, you know, when you move forward with these games from Saturday, I guess, uh, the first, the early game there that kind of started the whole off, it kind of set the tone uh, for the weekend here. And, um, you know, it's funny because we were really expecting these great games. That was the one game, I guess, that really – uh, we talked about the defense that the the Rams brought there 
and you saw how big of an impact not having Donald really healthy. But, man, I think this Green Bay team, if you didn't believe in them or you're kind of like last year we weren't sure, I think that was the answer for you there, that this Green Bay team's a little different. They are, and the thing is, is it's look at the teams. Look at Green Bay. Let's power run the football. Let, you know, let's look at Kansas City. They're having to run the football more often, and you're you're seeing Tampa Bay. Even Bruce Arians was was quoted in the Peter King article from this past weekend, uh, this morning, where he said, "Hey, uh, people say we like to throw the ball deep. He said, you know what we like to do? Punch people in the mouth first. I mean, this is you realize power football is alive and well in the NFL, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But the Packers right now, if you're talking about power football and offense, they're easily the best because the things they were doing, they were running the ball almost at will, it seemed, against a powerhouse Rams defense. Yeah, they're missing Donald, but they've got a lot of talent on that club, and they've got a great defensive coordinator, and the Packers were still just basically saying, well, we want to get five, six yards on the ground. We can just do it. Yeah, well, you take Donald out, it's almost like, wow, someone made an adjustment and said, they're weak there. Let's change. Let's go right after that weak spot. Like, you don't see that that much. Some of these coaches are so stubborn. Yeah, you do, and that's the thing. Coaches will tell you, if you if you talk to, to run game coaches and such, you'll, I'll tell you, look, if you're looking to attack a particular, hey, this the, your your three technique is weak, great, we'll run these sorts of plays and go after them. We, we could do certain things. You can actually tell them. People think about targeting and saying you're going to go segment a particular play in the secondary. Hey, we're going to go throw it this cornerback. We're going to go throw it this safety. They can't cover well. You could do the same thing in the running game. It's a little more difficult to do, but you can do it. And Green Bay just showed that. That's the thing, though. It wasn't like this complex offense. They were were, you know, they were doing a lot of things of sets and formations and such, but still it was just basically, all right, we're going to run inside zone, we're going to run outside zone, we're going to run mid zone, and we're just going to keep pounding this football at you. And then when you get up there and try and stop us, we're going to hit deep to Lazard, we're going to throw to Adams, and, and that's it. And it's not, it's not the most complex formula, but it works, and that's the scary thing for the other teams. If you know what they're doing and they can still do it, that's, that's a frightening feeling. A couple of years ago, the Rams were this offensive juggernaut. McVay, he was the hot coach. They stripped his staff away from him. What's going on with the L.A. Ram offense and McVay and, and what he was able to do early in his career? I think we're seeing the same thing you're seeing in Philadelphia where the quarterback hit the ceiling. And I, everybody had the question after they signed Goff to the extension that, Really, you're gonna give, you're gonna make him that guy. You really think that's it after that Super Bowl game? And I know it's Belichick and the Patriots defense and all, but man, he looked like he'd hit a ceiling. And I guess when you see the quarterback at the ceiling, maybe the offensive coordinator, the head coach, or maybe they see it and go, "Well, hey, we think there's a higher ceiling." But a lot of people around the, you know, when you see around the league and you see analysis of these teams or golf, you were thinking. He doesn't have a higher ceiling than that. That where he's at is where he's at, and that's that's a concern for them. And that's why I think the Rams are, you know, his uh, 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 McVay's post game comments. Uh, is he your quarterback? He's a quarterback for now. Like they're looking at possibly going elsewhere too, because you can only get so far with a great defense and a good running game if your quarterback just can't keep up. Because you can't have a quarterback who turns the ball over a lot, and you got to be able to hit big plays, especially inside this one days. Because the best quarterbacks today are going to throw twenty plus touchdown passes inside the ten yard line. All right, uh, the divisional game on Saturday. It was. Buffalo-Baltimore. We thought maybe this one had some fireworks. Not so much. Dominated by the Buffalo defense, really. And uh, low-scoring affair. Josh Allen, only 200 uh, yards. Um, but how how was Buffalo able to shut down Lamar Jackson and dominate this game? I think that they, I mean, they literally concentrated on Jackson, it looked like, whereas a lot of teams try and stop the running game. I think they basically said, look, if you want to run the ball, if you want to get the ball to Edwards, you want to get the ball to Dobbins, fine, you can go ahead and do that. And, you know, we're going to contest you on that, but we just want to make sure that we make this, we do everything we can 
to to stop Jackson on his running plays, to limit things in the passing game. The passing game was already eliminated with the with the uh, with the wins anyway. But I think that's part of it. I think teams are realizing now, especially during the playoffs, that the more you make the Ravens, you make them try and make them uh, Lamar Jackson centric. As crazy as it sounds, when you make them that way, they're kind of easier to stop because you can do things to limit what he can do if you play certain types of defenses. And I think that's uh, and that's where. It- which is a big thing. He tends to get frustrated in the big games. And I think Buffalo realized all that. And in fact, when I heard Jackson saying, or reportedly saying before the game, that he didn't, he didn't want snow, never played in the snow game, and you see all the wind. If you know the opposing team's quarterback is saying, "I really don't like this weather," that's probably a good sign for you. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of people talking about the game plan. How come there's not more creativity in the passing game with Baltimore? Uh, they need a better go-to receiver. Uh, you know, they, they got a lot of decisions to make in this offseason about where what direction they want to take that offense because the more you go to power football it's one of the things i was thinking about just a uh, past couple of days about the eagles when we talk about them going to more power football and say okay go ahead let's go ahead and get that sixth lineman in the game and all that the more you do those things you're just you're going to limit the number of things you could do downfield because the more people you apply to the ground game you can only do so many things downfield if you've got extra linemen extra tight ends who really don't catch the ball and you only have say two or three receivers going downfield you can't run three-by-ones. You can't run two-by-twos. You can't run the certain route combinations. You can't run very effectively. There's certain things that you're limiting just by the nature of your personnel and your, and your set. You're limiting the nature of what you can do, and that's where Baltimore is. And, and mind you, hey, I'm a big proponent for power football, but there's only there's a cap to what it can do, and you've got to be able to hit some vertical passes, and Baltimore hit that cap even before that game. I think you're right. They need to find a way to get more verticality to their passing game because they've got to diversify at least a bit. Kansas City 22, Cleveland 17. It was a close one. It was a lot tighter than I think some people. The line was like 10. It went down to 8. I mean, you lost Hilaire, but I think a lot of people thought Kansas City at home would take care of business. We found out a couple things about Cleveland. What are we finding out about Kansas City? Right now by Kansas City, I still think that they can't stop the run very well, and I was shocked, not just surprised, shocked that Cleveland wasn't trying to run the ball at them more often, that Cleveland was trying to put the ball in the air. I believe I'm looking in the third quarter, and they had like a – a three to two ratio of passes to runs. So I know part of that was the score, but man, Kansas City does their they they do they do two things badly on on defense. They don't stop the run very well, and they're the worst red zone team in the league as far as allowing touchdown percentage. So I think Cleveland didn't get into that sort of contest. In fact, I think Cleveland would have been. Uh, better suited to try and go at the ground game, would have had a better chance to turn the game into a track meet. Kansas City does not want to get in the track meets. I'll say this about Kansas City, though. They also have found a way on defense and and, and partially by running the ball some on offense. They're finding ways to slow games down and protect their defense because they had allowed 100 or more yards on the ground. I believe it was seven of the first nine games of the season. They've only allowed two since then, and it's just something that that they're concentrating on. They know they need to keep getting in the lower-scoring contest, so being a low-scoring game helped them, and I still Andy Reid in that uh, that last pass too that just shows you hey Big Red is awesome. Uh, and then Cleveland, of course, uh, their season comes to an end. But if you were kind of looking at them and questioning them, I thought it was interesting. Someone said to me yesterday, you know, hey, this Cleveland team really changed when Odell Beckham went out, and maybe for the better. Yeah, it did. Well, they again. That should be a uh, a power. That's what they are. They should be a power running team, and they should do certain things in the passing game. And that's that's who and what they are. And you saw what happened against Pittsburgh. They were able to punch Pittsburgh in the mouth. They've gotten back to that, and that's a a big thing for them. Is you've got to be able to show that you can do that sort of thing. They still need to get some more verticality. Having said that, Kansas City has some really good players in their secondary. Snead is a, a terrific corner. Doesn't get talked about enough. And they've got some some top notch players in their secondary. And I don't think Cleveland had quite enough firepower to go in that direction. But yeah, Cleveland still needs. You know, 
still needs to be able to keep up like that. But Cleveland was too Jekyll or Hyde this year, though, too. Either getting the big uh, shootout games, getting the big track meets, or they get in the low-scoring games. And I think that they need to find a middle ground there because as good as they are right now, you don't want to have that kind of a Jekyll and Hyde feel. You want to be who you are. And sometimes I got the sense that they, who they are would change every week. Last game of the uh, weekend, 30-20, Tampa Bay on the road, upsets New Orleans, Brady, uh, he was just okay, threw for under 200 yards. Breeze, though, four turnovers in the game, and that's really the difference. Breeze, early in his career, people would talk about Breeze and say, he's a good game manager. Look, he's got this. And I would go back and look at the tape and go, do you have any idea how many risks this guy takes? He is a gunslinger. It's, he's not, you don't think he's Brett Favre because he doesn't have Brett Favre's arm, but he was that type of a risk-taking gunslinger. And it worked because he had a, a good enough arm, and he was very smart about when he was going to take chances. He just took so many that would lead to a lot of interceptions. I thought, boy, that aggressiveness, it worked fine for him in a certain circumstances. Last couple of years, been saying for a couple of years now, that the Saints are a run-heavy team. They don't want. They did not want to be a Breeze-centric team because they knew God probably only has about 500, 550 passes per year in his arm total. We don't want to wear him out. We don't want to be like, you know, take him out when he's got 100 pitches like with a starting pitcher in baseball. you got to make sure you don't wear this guy down. And as this season progressed, it seemed to show, even after he, the injury he came back, he's just not quite the same quarterback. And I think Tampa realized that and started to play more aggressively than usual to say, hey, we lost a turnover battle 3-0 each of the first two contests if we win the turnover battle this time we think we win and you know they got four turnovers so that that that, that was the big difference is i think they knew breeze was limited and they were more aggressive because of it yeah and i know uh todd bowles in for an interview today with the eagles how impressed with were you with his game plan was it that game plan that really impressed you or was breeze really that bad i like his game plans i like his aggressiveness on defense his his teams will stop the run they absolutely will stop the run. They, they, it's it's going to be a concern for Green Bay this week because Tampa, if they, uh, what did uh, Rex Ryan used to say, if I want to stop the run, I will. Well, Todd Bowles can say the same thing. If I want to stop your running game, I can do it. And it's easier said than done in a lot of cases. So I love that about him, that he can do that. He does get some creativity, and he creates – he gets his playmakers on board early with with uh, uh, White and, and Murphy and uh, the guys they have in their Murphy Bunting in their secondary. He gets the young players and gets them to play well. So I think he can get you can give him a young team and he'll develop them. So those are some of his strong suits. No, not that's a perfect fit for what the Eagles have right now, but depending on what they want to be in the future, he could be a good fit. Josh McDaniels, would you uh, think he would be a good fit for Philadelphia? I always take the tack that uh, Dr. Z took on his New Thinking Man's Guide to Pro Football. He's the famous sports illustrator writer, and he said that if you went back and looked at coaches who had a second go-round, who would go, would have a first chance at being a head coach, and then if it wasn't successful, the second time they were head coach, they weren't successful either. Like, you proved yourself the first time around. It wasn't like baseball where a manager can kind of, like, make the rounds in the second and third opportunity suddenly be, uh, get, get the right situation and win. In football, you just kind of knew off the bat. I keep thinking back to McDaniels in Denver, and he had that good start, and then it just kind of went south. And I'm like, I just don't know what's changed between uh, uh, then and now. And that always sticks in my head that he'd have to be an exception to that rule, and he'd just have to really blow somebody away in an interview to, to really get over that hump. All right. Uh, Casey Joyner is back on Friday with one thought on both championship games. Probably be more than one thought, but uh, you get the drift. He'll be back to break down both of those games on Friday's show, and he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline at KC Joiner TFS on Twitter. And, of course, uh, we'll talk to him Friday. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Mike. All right. Uh, he uh, broke it down pretty nice there. And I can't believe, bros, we're down to just the final two. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Makes me sad. Does it? Yeah, I hate when the football season gets to this point. I think I'm just so emotionally defeated from the Eagles and football that this year I'm almost like, whew, all right. Well, this Phillies team isn't helping me out, although Archie Bradley had a nice tweet today. He's popular all of a sudden with the Phillies fans. Signed JT, he says, He knows exactly the way to the Phillies fans' heart. He's tweeting away again. You see what he just tweeted? Yeah, he's great. You love it or run? Jeez. He's going to be an interesting guy to cover. Yeah. Archie Bradley. Check out what he said at our website, 973ESPN.com. All right. By the way, we got Flyers hockey tonight. They're taking on Buffalo. Carter, Carter, Hurt. How was that? That was all right. You've had better, but it was strong. Really? Well, I just think you're that strong at it. Now, this one was strong, but you've had better. Oh, really? Yeah, Josh wow. confirms. I thought you were just, you know. No, what oh, I, was do, a good would one. I would I do that to you? <laughs> How dare you? Carter Hart's in goal tonight. We got uh, the five. Coming up next. It's Philadelphia Flyers hockey tonight on 97.3. Now can you think that? All right, get the five questions to wrap up tonight's show. Don't forget, Kevin Durso has uh, a preview of tonight's Flyers-Sabres game during game night. He'll give you some more information on Sean Couturier and who's filling in for him. Garter Hart in goal tonight. So we'll go through some Flyers uh, questions. Wow. Do you think the Flyers win tonight to start out 3-0? and uh, Carter Hart's in goal. Yeah. It's like Dicka. But Carter. Bu- <laughs> Buffalo, not so strong of a start, and they got to get a win. Is it like, hey, they're 56-game season, right? Like, no. you got to have that sense of urgency. No, it's a back-to-back, so I think they get the win probably tonight, and maybe that night's tomorrow. Although Brian Elliott's going to get his first start, and I don't know that Moose gets a loss his first Ooh, night out there. Ooh, 56-0, I love it. <laughs> no, Buffalo's going to be 0-4, though, <laughs> yeah. and Philly will be 4-0. Love it. All right, Travis Konechny has the best odds to score tonight for the Flyers. Do you think he nets another one? He had a hat trick the other night. Yeah, plus 185. Plus- is what it is. 185? Yeah. It's good value, it though. It is. It put is. a couple biscuits down on Ooh, that. I will go yesterday. Thumbs up on that. Who's in goal for Buffalo? I saw they had to call up a goalie today. I don't, I would imagine it's their – I don't even know who's starting in net for the uh, – I saw Buffalo called up a goaltender. Or, uh, oh, Olmark and Hutton. Those are their two goalies. I don't know which one's playing. I don't know. I don't know which one's going to be in net tonight, to be honest That's with you. That's key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jonas Johansson has been summoned from Buffalo's taxi squad. He will be in the lineup tonight against Philadelphia because Olmark is not available available due to personal reasons. Okay. So it looks like that. Wow. When you so need hockey even, info, you come to me. Yeah, that's a – I might be putting plus 185 down on TK. Jonas Johansson. How about that? Flyers should win by seven. Will they score a power play goal tonight? Their power play's been looking wow. nice. What do you think of the power play, by the way? Love it. I think it's been strong. You got two different philosophies. You got a nice umbrella on one, so you use your three guys high, get pucks to the net. And then with your skill guys, you got a little bit more puck movement and working with a little bit of an overload at times. So I like it. Gustafson. Yeah, you're a big gusty guy, huh? <laughs> so the over-under for goals is six. You're a big gusty guy. Yeah, you seem to be. You know what I mean? I tweeted something out the other day. You responded with the Gustafson gif. You like that? Yeah, huh? I did. <laughs> That's great. Over under six. Do you like the over? I can't even keep it together. Let's go. We got a couple minutes here. Uh, Flyers hockey. You better be listening to Durso no, at 620. I don't like the over because 
Carter hearts in gold. Yeah, but and it, he doesn't give up anything. He's a stone wall tonight. Oh man! But if the uh, if the oh, opponent Timmy Saunders, by the way, he was on with Schwimmer the other day. Yeah. Um, he gave one of his classic lines. I got to try to find it. Somebody scored a goal, and I was listening on the radio, and someone scored a goal, and I love when he'll say, "Oh, he gets one past him with traffic in front of the net." <laughs> There's actually an audio cut on the text board of Tim Saunders giving Billy Schwein a little bit of a compliment. Two big wins, man. I get pumped. We're getting pumped up here in the locker room. I got to tell you, you know who you sound like. He's one of the first guys I ever worked with. You got a little Dickie Vitale going. <laughs> wow. <laughs> little Dickie V. I mean, Schwein. Billy's just like a, a little schoolgirl. He just giggles away. I mean, jeez, Billy. <laughs> Little Dickie V for Billy. Unreal. All right, here's the Poor. last question. I mean, Saunders, <laughs> come on. Unreal. Oh, so now you want to take a shot at Saunders for even giving him that type of compliment? It's like, do you, what do you say? You you don't see the comparison? I didn't hear what he said. To Right, me neither. I didn't see why that would be what he felt. So yeah. I, I guess we do need context here. All right, Morgan Frost, he gets his first nod tonight. Do you think we come in tomorrow and go, huh? I'm impressed with Morgan Frost, like we do with Tyrese Maxey getting thrown in the fire and, like, how we feel about him. Or is it a slow night for the first day at the office? Who's he paired with tonight? Oscar Lindblom and Travis Konechny. Ooh, TK, huh? Yeah. So if you think TK's going to score, maybe you get a little apple. Yeah, I'm going Frost with an assist tonight. Ooh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Can't wait to break this all down tomorrow. Give me a goal tonight, too, by... I'm going to go JVR. A little uh, dirty one in front, greasy. Tip one in, gets one up off the uh, over the up over the shoulder. That's a good one on a tip. That's a good one. How about Voracek, by the way? I, we couldn't, we didn't have time to get. Into I didn't that. like that. I didn't like it. Game night's up next. South Jersey's 